We are really happy to be here this weekend. Um, you have been partnering with us now for 35 years. Um, as Jan said, in Kenya, in Nigeria, in London, and now these last few years as we've been um, at the NTW headquarters near Atlanta in Northeast suburbs. In that time, um, we've seen um, God's spirit at work um, in us and in the people that we're serving and we thank you for, for being part of that. So tomorrow morning during the adult Sunday school, Jan and I will be talking more about uh, what we've done over these past years and what your partnership has meant. But tonight, um, I want to, to give a message, so it's listed in the bulletin as what's my part in the story from Matthew 28. So if you want to turn there, if you want to look in your pew Bible, it's on page 835. And let me just pray for us. Loving Father, we ask that you would uh, work through your word to direct us into your paths. We ask it in Jesus' name. So um, if you, so you heard Jan say that this is probably our last time here as, as MTW missionaries, our last missions conference, because we're planning on retiring next year. Um, so just think for a minute, if you're going somewhere for the last time and wanted to, to talk about something, so how, how would you choose what to talk about? Um, So we definitely want to say thank you. Um, but as MTW missionaries, we always want to talk about, about missions and specifically about cross-cultural world missions. We want to encourage you by talking about what you've been part of, uh, and we'll be doing that in Sunday school tomorrow morning and to encourage you to continue and even to increase your involvement in, in world missions, in cross-cultural missions. So Mission to the World is the mission agency of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. We have about 550 to 600 long-term missionaries scattered all over the world. Another uh, large number of interns um, and a good many people who go for two-week trips or three-week trips in the summers particularly. Um, in MTW, we have a definite vision, and MTW's vision is to see the gospel of the kingdom advancing throughout the world. And our mission statement is making disciples among all nations. So First Presbyterian has played a significant role in that. And we pray that you'll continually to faithfully participate in that, in that task, that great task. But specifically tonight, I want you to ask yourselves, what's my part in this story? 
both as a church for First Presbyterian uh, Hattiesburg and as individuals. What's my part in the story? So it's also the connection is um, because we're going to be looking at Matthew 28 um, is that it was also Jesus's last words to his disciples. Um, he's about to leave them. They'll no longer have his bodily presence with them. So if you, if you read Luke and Matthew and Acts, you can't precisely tell what the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was, um, but this is certainly among the last. And Matthew certainly highlights it as the last thing, uh, the very last words in his gospel. So he puts a, really a laser focus on this. So let's read, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what's, what's the storyline of the Bible? So how many of you, when you were in school, uh, had to outline a book or a story? How many of you actually enjoyed doing that? <laughs> How many of you had to do book reports? So if you were going to outline the story of the Bible, how would you do it? Well, so this is the way we teach it. The Bible is the story of God's work in the world, and it's in four parts. So there's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, and there's completion or consummation. So if you want, so it's a long book, so you might want a little bit more detail than that. So you can think of redemption, that large middle part, and also in four parts as preparation, then the story of Israel, Christ, and the church. So our part in the story right now is in the larger category of redemption and in the subpart the church. So the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the King, is the real turning point of the Bible. And it's the turning point of history, of course. But his first coming, it's the turning point, but it's not the climax of the story. That's coming with Christ's return and the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. So Matthew's gospel is right in the center of the story of the scriptures, the story of God's work in the world. Um, of the four gospels, more than Mark or Luke or John, 
Matthew presents Jesus as the king, the king who has come and who is establishing his kingdom. So if you read Matthew, and um, I'm going to encourage you to do that over the next weeks to see this, it starts with a genealogy that highlights David the king as an ancestor of Jesus. You'll see the question from the wise men to Herod, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We see it when Matthew first describes Jesus' ministry. Chapter four, verse 23, he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. 29 times Jesus speaks specifically in Matthew of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew, more than any of the other gospels, also looks back at the Old Testament story of preparation and Israel and emphasizes the prophets who spoke of the ruler who had come from Bethlehem to shepherd my people Israel. So Matthew focuses on the king who comes to establish his kingdom. And in the arc of the Bible story, what, my, what Matthew writes, as I said, comes at the turning point. And this passage that we're looking at tonight actually looks ahead also to the climax, to the end of the age. So this passage, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, comes right at the end of the gospel. Matthew's gospel is really very carefully laid out. There's an introduction, then there are five sets of narrative action, and each one of those is followed by a parenthesis or of teaching. So action, teaching, action, teaching, five times. And then it comes out, comes to a climax where it lays out Jesus' sacrifice, resurrection, and commission to his disciples. So from what we read tonight, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It's commonly called the, the Great Commission. So how many of you have heard that term, the Great Commission? So I'm gonna guess, yeah, good, almost everyone. So a couple of years ago, Barna surveyed uh, US Christians, US churchgoers anyway, and um, 51% said that they had never heard the term Great Commission. And only about a third, when given a multiple choice test with five choices, where Matthew 28, 18 to 20 was one of the choices, could correctly identify which passage Great Commission referred to. So this church is already way, way ahead. <laughs> um, and this is one of the main passages that, that we here preached on as we go from missions conference to missions conference. It's one of the main passages to talk about foreign missions. It's one of the main passages that's used in sermons calling for missionaries. So let's look at what it says, what it means, and how it applies to us so that you can answer the question, what's my part in the story? 
So here, here's the setting. The remaining 11 disciples travel up to Galilee. So they're or down to Galilee, actually, following the instructions that Jesus had given them by the two Marys. Uh, so if you look back at verse 10 earlier in this chapter, so probably other followers went with them. Uh, so it probably wasn't just the 11. You know, um, so some people even think that this is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says more than 500 saw the risen Jesus at one time. Uh, so there may have been a crowd. At any rate, Matthew says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They saw him and they worshiped him. And at the same time, Matthew notes that some doubted. So they were, they were wavering. They weren't sure. They were of two minds. They believed, I mean, they went there at Jesus's commands, but they had trouble believing. Now we don't know exactly who Matthew had in mind um, or exactly what the doubters doubted. But just that phrase can actually be pretty encouraging for us, I think. It tells us um, a couple of things. So one, the Gospels aren't some sanitized story. These were real, ordinary people with fears and doubts, just, just like us. The Gospels are relevant to our lives. And second, uh, it can encourage us because in spite of their doubts, Jesus still came to them. He called them to himself, he spoke to them, and he included them in his great plan for the kingdom. Likewise, he comes to us, ordinary people, not always sure, uh, but included in his plan, in his story. So these verses tell us that Jesus' cure for doubt is his presence and his word. So let me ask you, do you sometimes waver? Are you sometimes of two minds? So let Jesus come to you. Seek his presence. Find him in these scriptures. So let me read again, starting in verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So first of all, it's helpful to point out that this is actually a command. So this is something Jesus was telling them to do. It's, it wasn't like a suggestion. Jesus says specifically that he has all authority. He has the authority to command, to command us. The extent of his authority is universal. So it's all authority both in heaven and on earth. Second, it's a command to the church. So sometimes you may hear or read 
that, well, this was a commandment for the 11 original disciples, and certainly that is true. But since it's accompanied by the time signifier to the end of the age, it must be to their successors also. So to obey, we must therefore go. So you've probably also heard or read teaching that focuses on the Greek grammar and which English word is actually the command, is it go or make disciples or baptize or teach? Well, regardless of that, it's, it's clear that the command is to go and do all of that. Sometimes this passage is understood primarily in application to individuals, something like this. So Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. Are you going to respond and become a missionary? So that's an entirely legitimate application. Um, but there's a lot more to say and a lot more to do. We'll see that, but first of all, let me also point out that because Jesus has all authority, the outcome, the results, are guaranteed. So that should serve to motivate us as we obey. It should keep us from being discouraged by setbacks and fix our eyes on the glory of the outcome. So just digging a little bit deeper as into the task, as a church, we're commanded to make disciples of all nations. So most of you will know that this doesn't mean like political states. So it doesn't mean like Germany and South Africa and, um, you know, Colombia in South America. It's talking about ethnic groups or people groups. So specifically tonight, while there are many, many great ministries that your church is involved in, so we heard about one tonight with disaster relief and the work in Dalton. Um, I'm talking specifically about cross-cultural uh, cross ministry, crossing cultural, ethnic, racial, or even geographic boundaries. So of course, we're to be loving our neighbor. We're to be speaking and living the gospel wherever we are. We're to be going to people that are like us. We're to be doing church planning everywhere. We're to be doing campus ministry um, on campuses here in the US as a denomination. But specifically, I'm talking about cross-cultural missions missions that involves going to places and people where the church is not established or where the church is few in number and needs help to take up their part in kingdom growth that need help to to be able to enter in to this great story of what god is doing to build up his kingdom where people have little opportunity to hear the gospel and where the church is very small. So for instance, last week, we had dinner with a MTW missionary who works in Thailand. Uh, she's here in the States on her home ministry assignment, was doing a training in Atlanta 
We met her for dinner. She's working in a country that's overwhelmingly Buddhist, more than 85%, less than a half percent of Thailand's population are evangelical Christians. They need, that church needs help to grow. When you were supporting our work in northern Nigeria, working with the Fulani, uh, at the time we went there, the, there were about 12 million Fulani in Nigeria and probably about 500 Christians. In today's world, especially in major cities, there are opportunities for cross-cultural work with people groups who would likely have little or no opportunity to hear the gospel in their home country. So when you were supporting us in London, we were involved in work about that, like that, working with Pakistani Muslims. So there are Christians in Pakistan, but they come from a different people group, one that's looked down upon by Pakistani Muslims. So Pakistani Muslims in Pakistan have very little chance to hear the gospel, particularly in the context of a face-to-face -face conversation with a Christian. So here in Hattiesburg, there are opportunities like that as well, if you seek them out. So the command to make disciples, specifically here includes baptizing, that is initiating new believers into God's family, the church, teaching the scriptures, including how to obey. So Jesus was talking here to his disciples so it would have brought to their minds their experience for the previous three years of being taught personally by, being Je by Jesus, of being corrected, of watching his example, of traveling and living together, of facing hardship, of rejoicing together. So for us, this means a dual focus on the word and on relationships. So as you send missionaries and as you evaluate their ministries, look for people that are sharing the word and that are building relationships, sharing our lives. Now, I've said that this is a, com a commandment and it's a command for the whole church. So that means it's a command for First Presbyterian Church, Hattiesburg. The New Testament makes clear, uh, by example, if nothing else, that the mission task is carried out primarily by churches. So you can think of the church in Antioch that sent out Paul and Barnabas under the direction of the Holy Spirit. You can think about what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he commended them for participating with him as he traveled by giving and praying and supporting and sending people with him can think of Paul's expectations to the church in, of the church in Rome that when he went and visited there, they would help him on his way to Spain. So obedience to this command is part of being part of the body of Christ. It's part of being under his kingship. So, however, I'm pretty sure that even if every one of you here tonight 
wanted Tamara to become foreign missionaries, wanted to become cross-cultural workers and go and work with an unreached people group. Most of you would not be able to for entirely legitimate reasons. And of course, the New Testament examples that I just mentioned show that not each and every person left and went to a new location. So what do you do as a church to obey the command to go and make disciples of all nations? What's your part in the story? So I'm going to suggest two ways. Well, three ways. So going, I don't want to overlook that, so it could be that some of you are actually being called to go and be cross-cultural workers, to go physically, to cross an ethnic or a geographic or a racial barrier to share the gospel with a group that has very little chance to hear it or in a church setting where the church is very weak and needs help to carry on their part of the Great Commission. But for most of you here, most of us, there are two other things, sending and supporting, and I'm gonna finish by talking about those. So first, sending. So here at First Presbyterian Church, Hattiesburg, you should be raising up new missionaries from your congregation and sending them out. So what might that look like? So it might mean having missionaries come and talk like we're doing this weekend. Might mean having missionaries come and speak frequently enough so that it's a common topic of conversation in your church means teaching about missions in Sunday school. It might mean that families encourage the reading of missionary biographies. So if your grandparents, are you talking about missions with your grandchildren and your children? If your parents of younger children, is it something that you would consider your children growing up to do? So it might mean that when you see someone who's really gifted in serving in this church, in teaching, that you ask them if they have considered missions. It means that your elders and leaders should be asking how they can promote cross-cultural missions. It means being ready as a church to send, having the mindset that we must send out workers so Mission to the World, our denomination's mission agency, has encouraged churches to join what we're calling the 1% Challenge, to pray that every church in our denomination would send out 1% of its members as cross-cultural workers. So we haven't had huge numbers of churches sign up for that, but of the 100 or so that have, uh, they we're actually seeing that those churches are sending 1% of their members. Oftentimes, MTW has many more opportunities than we have workers, than we have missionaries. We're limited. 
If the PCA responded by sending 1% with MTW, that would be about five-fold growth in the number of missionaries. We would have closer to 3,000 than, than 600. We could work in new cities, in new countries, on new campuses around the world. So should your church be part of the 1% challenge? I would also encourage you to think of attending the PCA Global Missions Conference in Atlanta uh, in November, November 1st to 3rd, to learn more about, what it, about how practically a church can be involved and the role that you can play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Will you plan to do that? You can get information on our display table about how to register and sign up. So you obey the Great Commission by going, by sending, and you obey by supporting. So Jen and I have been with Mission of the World for almost 36 years now, and some of our financial supporters, both individuals and churches, like First Pres Hattiesburg, have been faithfully supporting us almost that entire time. You've generously and faithfully supported us as well as many other missionaries. So keep on, keep on doing that, giving money generously and sacrificially as a church to support missions. Individually, you can support missionaries as well. So Jan and I are um, actually supporters ourselves. We're supporting some workers since before we even became missionaries and these Long-term relationships are so valuable to us as we feel like that we're a part of the gospel work that those are doing. But supporting is not just financial giving. It's also praying. Jesus told his disciples and us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So pray for that. Use a website like operationworld.org or joshuaproject.net for daily prayer suggestions for different nations and people groups. Pray for the specific missionaries that your congregation supports. We have prayer supporters who have been praying for us regularly for more than 30 years and not just praying, God bless David and Jan, but keeping in contact, keeping informed, so that prayers for your missionaries are specific and focused. As a church, we must be praying for the advance of the gospel around the world. So I'd encourage you as, as families, as individuals, to get to know missionaries Sign up for their newsletters. Pray specifically for them. And also pray for new workers. So Jesus actually commands us to do that. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. John Piper says, you have three choices in world missions. You can be a joyful, sacrificial goer. 
be a joyful, sacrificial sender or be disobedient. Jesus promises to be always with us in this task. He uses all his authority to see it through. His kingdom will be established. It is growing. The climax of the story will come. Meanwhile, his presence is with us. He's given us his word, his authority, is at work. God's story includes mission, going to the nations. As you think about that, how does your story map onto that? How does your story intersect with the story of the growth of the kingdom? Are you going? Are you sending, giving, praying? God's story includes missions. Does yours? What is your part in the story? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you give us the privilege of being part of, of your story, of the growth of your kingdom. Show us what that is. Show us what our part in the story is. And I pray that, that this weekend would be a time when people would ask that, what is my part in this story? for your glory and the great name of Christ, we pray. Amen.